So uh, happy new year to everyone. Uh, we're recording this just a few days before uh, we'll be putting it out. It's Wednesday, but uh, usually we record a little bit in advance. So we were, we we're just talking beforehand about the holidays and some of the stressors that people have around that, perhaps some family dysfunction and all comes down to today's topic, really compassion, right? And, and working it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a, a, a tree fall. You know, we had big storms here, right? I had oh, a tree, yeah. tree fall and take out part of my fence during the, the one big windstorm we had. And after all the other stuff that was going, going on, I looked at it and I said, yeah, no biggie. <laughs> <laughs> I can deal with that. <laughs> oh, man. I, I The whole Christmas thing is so potent for so many people. I uh, yeah. think a few years ago, I, I was thinking about that. And I think for me... Um, I think it was a relief when I f- somehow managed to have the thought that there is no such thing as a perfect family. Yeah, exactly. You know, I remember going home to Christmas and this this bizarre idea that you know this perfection would somehow happen. You know, and and then which I can look back and see that uh, that was just some kind of expectation on my an unrealistic expectation on my part. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, so you have to be aware of that. I remember I spent like three days with with a friend of mine, and and all of the everyone was related except for me and me and my friend, and they were all coming in from different places, and they hadn't seen each other for a while. And first day was nice, second day was nice, but then it just kind of started to unravel a little bit, you know. <laughs> and these were all very nice people in their own way, but it's like, yeah, okay. There's a Mark Twain saying uh, something like, "What is it? Three days." Uh, house guests are like fish, you know, they, they got to be taken out. <laughs> <laughs> the wisdom of Mark Twain. There we go. But yeah, compassion, compassion. And I'm really looking forward to to digging into this, this, that, that word is mm. the word. And I've said this many times. That's the word that really drew me into Buddhism. It's so powerful a word and, and just, phew, you can just live your life with that kind of tattooed, you know, across your vision. Yeah, especially when they are asking you to, uh, in Buddhism, explore it in every at every possible angle, and you know, continuing to hammer us with the fact that if you don't cultivate your compassion, then you're basically limiting yourself. You just, mm. you know, it's not going to hurt anyone except yourself by by limiting your compassion. Of course, others will be affected by our lack of compassion, but. Ultimately, ultimately, it comes down to uh, taking our chains off. Yeah. Comes down to compassion. Yeah, there you go. Simple. Yeah, so it's one of those easier said than done things. But I think that yeah. you know, when I look back at, at uh, my life, I, I've gotten a lot softer and compassionate as I've grown older. You know, some people don't; they get bitter. But uh, I think yeah. most people kind of do because they life kind of happens to them, and you have to, yeah, yeah decide how you're going to go, hard or easy. You know. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to see that when it, when suffering produces bitterness in people, mm-hmm. it's hard to see that because we can all relate to it. And then there's that suffering yeah. that softens people. Mm-hmm. You know, they it's it's like it can go one or one way or the other. I don't, you know, it's uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we can nudge people. Yeah, hopefully a little bit here. Um, I wanted to note that um, the PDF link that we had to this uh, text. That's in the first uh, couple of posts. It has a yellow yellow cover, 
and we've been calling out the page numbers here. Um, if you didn't download it at the time, uh, the link has changed, uh, the link from Tibet House there. So we're just going to start, because the, the page numbers are different, we're just going to start uh, talking about the sections um, that we're discussing, and, and that, that's easy to follow. So right now we're in the, um, again, it's all the, the middle section. Uh, there's three parts to this text, but what we'll be discussing this whole time is the middle section. And we did uh, the homage, then what is the mind, and then training the mind, and today we'll be talking about compassion. Um, I thought it'd be good to start with the, um, and this is only actually in the yellow covered version of the uh, text, so this will be page seven. <clears throat> the foundation of all my goodness, uh, well, I'm sorry, the foundation of all good qualities. Maybe it would be good uh, to read that to start. Okay, yeah. By the mighty hmm. Lama Jason Kappa. The foundation of all good qualities. The foundation of all good qualities is the kind and perfect pure guru. Correct devotion to them is the root of the path. By clearly seeing this and applying great effort, please bless me to rely upon him with great respect. Understanding that the precious freedom of this rebirth is found only once is greatly meaningful and is difficult to find again. Please bless me to generate the mind that unceasingly, day and night, takes its essence. This life is as impermanent as a water bubble. Remember how quickly it decays and death comes. After death, just like a shadow follows the body, the results of virtuous and non-virtuous karma follow. Finding firm and definite conviction in this, please bless me always to be careful to abandon even the slightest negativity and accomplish all virtuous deeds. Seeking samsaric pleasures is the door to all suffering. They are uncertain and cannot be relied upon. Recognizing these shortcomings, please bless me to generate the strong wish for the bliss of liberation. Led by this pure thought, mindfulness, alertness, and great caution arise. The root of the teachings is keeping the pratimoksha vows. Please bless me to accomplish this essential practice. Just as I have fallen into the sea of samsara, so have all mother migratory beings. Please bless me to see this and train in supreme bodhicitta and bear the responsibility of freeing migratory beings. Even if I developed only bodhicitta, but I don't practice the three types of morality, I will not achieve enlightenment. With my clear recognition of this, please bless me to practice the bodhisattva vows with great energy. Once I have pacified distractions to wrong objects and correctly analyzed the meaning of reality, please bless me to generate quickly and within my mind stream the unified path of calm abiding, calm abiding and special insight. Having become a pure vessel, 
by training in the general path, please bless me to enter the holy gateway of the fortunate ones, the supreme Vajra vehicle. At that time, the basis of accomplishing the two attainments is keeping pure vows and samaya. As I have become firmly convinced of this, please bless me to protect these vows and pledges like my life. Then, having realized the importance of the two stages, the essence of Vajrayana, by practicing with great energy, never giving up the four sessions, please bless me to realize the teachings of the Holy Guru. Like that, may the gurus show the noble path and the spiritual friends who practice it have long lives. Please bless me to pacify completely all outer and inner hindrances. In all my lives, never separated from perfect gurus, may I enjoy the magnificent dharma by completing the qualities of the stages and paths. May I quickly attain the state of Vajradhara. So, compassion. Uh, this is page 11, if you're on the yellow colored book. Compassion. Compassion. What a word. Moved by compassion. This is the text, right? Yep. Moved by compassion, bodhisattvas take the vow to liberate all sentient beings. Now, what are they talking about, Greg? <laughs> Moved by compassion, bodhisattvas take the vow to liberate all sentient beings. That's the, uh, we're just talking about that in the uh, Jason Kappa. That's the Prati Moksha vows, right? The liberation. Yeah, yeah, and then I think uh, leading leading to this uh, moment where they actually, in front of a teacher, they just take a vow to do the actions of the bodhisattva. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, it's like uh, I remember when Lama Marut he he gave me my bodhisattva vows. That was so exciting. And you know, of course, you get a you get a fun new name too. Right. He's, he's just no longer you know, and uh, it was just so uh, apparent that I had made a deep, deep decision. Mm -hmm. You know, a deep, deep decision in my life, and and the whole, and I could feel the momentum of that decision, like steering this my life and. And with that awareness that, I don't know, I kind of had thought of it like a, you know, a gigantic tanker out in the middle of this great sea, you know, and the, the, the if that tanker wants to change direction, right, it's, it takes a lot, right. like really to finally turn it, you know, yep. and then uh, this whole idea of being a bodhisattva and taking responsibility for my own karma, positive and negative, and going about, okay, now I, I need to like purify negative karma. I need to plant positive karma because I, because of this overarching goal and my momentum so far <laughs> has been going like in the opposite direction, Sure, but it felt so exciting to, I, I, I think it was just finally 
Well, they even say that in, they're in the ceremony. They do say that, finally, my life has meaning. My life has some meaning. Yeah. You know, and then, it's, wow, it's a real deep feeling of, okay, I, have, I actually have a direction now that feels like uh, there will be fruit there. Where before that, it was so uh, vague or, you know, this, uh, this forbidden fruit that would somehow appear if you could somehow get the right job and have the right circumstances that somehow happiness would arrive and and then finally realizing no 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 that's not how it's going to work and there's something about the power of that initiation ceremony because because i've had them before is uh you know first communion or whatever and and you just kind of you know say okay it doesn't really hit you as hard um i remember getting my name uh, from you and sherry at the time uh diana dean is something the effect of uh storehouse of great compassion something like that it's like i'm like okay well i guess maybe maybe you guys know something i don't know but uh it gave me some something to work towards you know uh yeah those are powerful powerful things and and i think this goes back to we were talking at one time like this is not an easy path to if you decide to do these things and the the more vows you take there's like a what how many bodhisattva vows 146 or something I think there's 165. <laughs> Come yeah. on. I could get I could, could be wrong. There's a lot of them. Yeah, most people walk around through life with just the 10 commandments and think that they're doing okay and yeah. Like, white lies, they can do white lies. That's fine. I just want to spare that person's feelings. We're like, "Nope, no white lies." <laughs> no white lies. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's it's this yeah, this list and you know how to be how to be haven hey, uh what I think that's amazing about it is that they give you this like guide guidelines you know here's how to behave here's how to think here's how to Mm -hmm. think you know here's how to behave not because i guess you know not because it's a sin to do otherwise or not because you're a bad person doing otherwise but if you if you want to liberate yourself yeah here's what to do if you want liberation here's what to do we're not we're not saying anything otherwise if you don't don't liberation try this out and um beautiful kind of collateral damage of that is you just become a nicer person yeah. and uh you just become happier so even if you don't what's that saying if you uh reach for the stars you might not get a star but you won't come up with a handful of mud either <laughs> like you know maybe in this lifetime you won't achieve full enlightenment if you don't put all your you know power into it but yeah. you will become a nicer person and you will become more content yeah. And uh, that will affect your life and it will affect the people around you. So, you know, amazing. Yeah. One I heard, I remember is uh, reach for the stars, but uh, uh, settle for the moon. <laughs> settle for the moon. Yeah. <laughs> Cosmos moon. Cosmos moon. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So bodhisattvas take the vow. Yeah. And vows and pledges defer. Which one is it? A vow is something you're going to do, and a pledge is something you're not going to do. Do I have that right? Uh, the other, other way around. I think you, you, pledge to, you pledge to do something, and you vow to not do something. There right? you go. Yeah. Like I vow to not respond in kind when someone treats me with disrespect. Yeah. Right? You know? But you could also say I pledge to, you know, I pledge to treat someone with respect when they treat me with disrespect. And it's kind of you can, you can look at it either way. But I think it's it's worded that way because we're mostly used to. Uh, well, we're very, very, we're very, very used to our negative karma coming back at us, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, our response to that is, 
everything. Our response to our negative karma resurfacing and coming back at us is so uh, important. Mm. It's like the whole thing right there is our response to that. And what we've been doing over and over again is responding in a way that just brings more. Yeah. And you hear that even in pop psychology, like uh, people like Anthony Robbins and so forth. They, they, the main, one of the main, you know, things he talks about is your response. You have control over that. You don't have control over your environment. I mean, he's not saying karma or whatever. You don't have control over the way people treat you, but you do have control over the way you're going to respond. You know, I think too, like you look at, these things like you can categorize them into body, speech, and mind, these vows and pledges. And yeah, so the body is don't kill and, you know, don't strike other people. And, and the speech is not to speak harshly or tell lies. You can, there's a lot of people that are non-Buddhists that are like yeah. the people that don't do that. Just the not. final, yeah, the final frontier becomes the mind. Yeah. And like, you know, yeah, don't have a negative thought when someone's, you know, belittling you or something. It's like, oh, what? You yeah. Got more? <laughs> there's some footnotes <laughs> yeah no doubt yeah and i think it's you know it's been great to notice that um it just eventually comes down to that subtle level of even noticing negative thoughts that appear in your own mind that don't even get voiced yeah but that they appear and that the bodhisattva once you've done your practice long enough and you're you know you can think of that as clearing your mind right you're really going out into the you know the ice rink with a zamboni bad analogy but you're like you're like you're cleaning it all up and smoothing it out you're, you're you're clearing the mind until finally all you're left with is uh you're no longer doing obvious things in the world where people are being harmed by your mm -hmm. by your by your voice or by your body but if the karma is not done yet it will still pop up in your mind and so you can like be hurt by your own mind, right. by well, thought, when you, you know. Yeah, when, when you get into Vipassana, then like you start to see the emptiness of the phenomenal world, but then it's also the mental world. Yeah. So yeah, it, it kind of helps in this, you know, Gary, this, this is uh, in another podcast we do, it's not what you think. It's exactly it. He goes, you're not your thoughts. So if you yeah. do have a thought that comes in there and you go, whoa, you know, like something maybe really major of hatred or anger or something, don't have to identify with it it's just passing through yeah. you know there's a lot of karma that made it bubble up and and you're still working on yourself and like you're saying eventually you'll just polish it and that thought will you know either not come or it'll you know quickly dissolve when it comes up like driving in traffic is a good way to to see where you're at right yeah 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 standing in line driving in traffic yeah. not getting what you want <laughs> Yeah, yeah, not getting paid on time. Any anything, all all of those things, right? Yeah, yeah. I've come to learn just sort of if, if I don't get what I want at the time, then something better is coming my way. Whether it's a job or mm. you know whatever it may be, it's like okay, yeah. yeah, something better is coming down the line. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's a nice way of looking at it. It's it's a hardcore practice to be able to you know, go through the day and be assailed by a constant stream of thoughts and not believe them. Yeah. You know, that's a whole practice in itself. Good if luck. someone, yeah. you know, of course, that's going to be easier to do when you uh, uh, get closer and closer to actually attaining this uh, calm abiding mind or shamatha. It gets easier and easier. I mean, before that, it's, you know, it's literally nearly impossible until you've 
had some stillness of the mind. So uh, it's beautiful that the Bodhisattva vows, it's like it's purifying negativities and planting positivities that are what is so needed in order to have the the result of having a clear mind. Beautiful thing. Should we read the next verse? Yeah, I think we meandered a little there. <laughs> what okay. do you think? <laughs> we yeah, got we'll, one. Yeah, Kamala, Kamala Sheila will bring us back. We got one sentence. Some mind wandering. <laughs> yeah. We need to meditate more, Greg. It's <laughs> according to Kamala Sheila. Oh, okay. Funny. Okay. Uh, then, okay, so then, by overcoming their self-centered outlook, they engage eagerly and continuously in the very difficult practices of accumulating merit and insight. So we've kind of already been talking about this. I think we just did. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, <clears throat> But maybe we should uh, explain what merit and insight uh, might be, because that's, that's code. Yep. Right? So then by overcoming their self-centered outlook, so we know that, that's selfishness, uh, they engage eagerly and continuously. So this is, uh, you know, joyous effort. Continuously, uh, every day, mm. <laughs> no gaps in the very difficult practices of accumulating merit and insight. Um, so merit and insight. What's your take on merit and insight? There's, uh, I mean, it's. Uh, how, how has your experience been with that? That that's code for karma and emptiness, right? Yeah, basically working your karma and seeing the emptiness in things. Oh <clears throat> uh, yeah, it works. It definitely works. Yeah. Um, I like accumulating merit for sure. It's it's yeah. a fun thing to do. It's like a Pokemon kind of thing. <laughs> Get out in the world and collect. You know, dip, 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 dip. do some good things. Like no, after you, please. You know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, emptiness is always an insights to me. Is is yeah. like uh, it's the meat of of the practice in a certain way. <clears throat> and. Um, I think too, you're talking about joyous effort and engage eagerly. Um, I think it was reading, doing some meditations from the Ocean of the Ultimate Meaning, teaches mm. on Mahamudra, Kenshin Thanguru. Wonderful, time. wonderful book. And uh, he was talking at different meditation techniques and he kept saying, emphasizing, you know, to look to, to find the excitement in it. Yeah. You know, and. Uh, something in gestalt therapy i was reading recently too is just the idea of excitement it's not just being aware in the present moment and in finding that space but finding the excitement in it too mm-hmm. you know it's one thing to to sort of uh, go out and accumulate merit and do good works and things but to be excited about it and find the joy in it is um i don't know fuel on the fire one could say right oh big time i think that's uh so important and one of the benefits of having a teacher is uh is you can well if they have joyous effort it's contagious but yeah. and uh, it, it, i think it's if you see a result in this teacher like they're living a result it's easier to hang on when it gets hard mm-hmm. and also i think uh, one of the qualities of a good teacher is they can help you keep it personal because if you don't make it personal then that engage eagerly will be much harder to do yeah cuz you got to make it fun for yourself and it is it's a personal path it's you know the doctrine you know it could be is a certain way but the 
the current underneath the doctrine, like the raging river of the realizations of all the beings are just roaring there. And you have to like get down to that level. And that's going to mm. be personal. That's going to be personal. And yeah. um, the thing about, which is amazing, like he, Kamala Sheila talked early on about, you know, nothing is going to happen without causes and conditions. And he's saying, you know, what we're trying to do is accumulate merit and insight and that somehow these two accumulations, like these two Pokemon piles, right? These two piles will eventually add up to the uh, the the body and the mind of a fully awakened being. Mm -hmm. And so, like right away, they're okay, Bodhisattva. Out you go, right? Kick you out the door. You've been blessed, and uh, and in the ceremony, there's this thing where all the Buddhas know, right? They all like there's this big thunderbolt goes to the sky, and okay, here's another one. <laughs> here's another one, like there here's another one, and they root you on, and then you go out and you do your best to live the six perfections with uh with no concern about how long or how hard it will how long it will take and how hard it will be mm. um like this is not a drive through enlightenment situation this is <laughs> right this is not that at all um so how you know the the practice at that point is now. Uh, living the Dharma every moment possible. And we've talked about the Six Times book before, but, yep. uh, you know, that the practice of the Six Times book is so central to the theme of a Bodhisattva's life because the Bodhisattva is trying to just live whatever life, you know, you may be living, but, you know, through the lens of the Dharma, and that requires returning to it over and over again. And then you will see that every, every manner of life, every moment of your day can simply be a reflection of your Dharma practice. And yeah. Yeah. And I mean, then it, it starts to snowball. It becomes habit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was, there were, there were two things that really um, made me uh, decide to, you know, take a deep dive into Tibetan Buddhism. One was the compassion idea. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and the other was just seeing how how happy these uh people that i met you know the young men young monks no money no girlfriends you know yeah. renounced their whole things and they're the happiest people i've ever seen in my life they were just glowing it's like all right what's going on there mm -hmm. what do you yeah. got behind the curtain there yeah happy for no apparent reason yeah yeah till you, till you learn the reasons till you learn the reasons yeah yeah <laughs> till you learn the reasons yeah good point um Next verse. Um, where do we stop? Accom accomplishing uh, uh, merit and insight. We got. Did you want to? Should we go to the next verse? I think we, I don't think we finished this. I think you. I think we stopped it. Oh, uh, we stopped. Okay. Yeah. I guess I think what's is. Uh, There's some. I, uh, I broke it up. So okay. So there we go. Having entered into this practice. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Having entered into this practice, they will certainly. Complete the collection of merit and insight. Well, thank you, Kamala Sheila. Having entered into this practice, they will certainly complete the collection of merit and insight. No doubt. Yep. Accomplishing the accumulation of merit and insight is like having omniscience itself in the palm of your hand. Wow. That's wow. saying a lot. Therefore, since compassion is the only root of omniscience, you should become familiar with this practice from the very beginning. Hmm. Ooh. It's the only root of omniscience. Yeah, the only root. So he's wow. kind of, when we're talking about causes and conditions, he's getting to the, the point of that. Mm -hmm. The main cause. 
will mm-hmm. be our, will be compassion. Yeah, the root cause, right? Um, it's interesting that he's calling it the root cause, but which also means that it's not the only cause, right? right? It's the root cause. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, I see. Yeah. So like root. other 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 training is needed as well. So it's like the root cause. Uh, it's like what do they say? It's the the most the easiest way I've um, been taught. Like the root cause of something is like, say, if you talk about you want to grow, uh, uh, let's say you want to grow a flower, mm-hmm. and you have the seed of the flower, and you put the seed in the ground, you've got the the, the soil, and you've you also need water, you need sunlight, and but without the seed, like nothing's going to happen. So they say the seed is like the root cause, and then they. Uh, uh, contributing factors, right, would be like the sunlight or the water. So it's like you you can put a seed in there, and maybe it will it will germinate and grow a bit uh, with you know a bit of sun and a bit of water. If the rain tapers off, it'll grow slower. You know, it might take a long time for it to come out and stuff. But if everything's conditions are perfect, the seed will just come out and perfect flower comes up. But without the seed, nothing. The seed of compassion. Yeah. Yeah. So he's saying. The root is is and then all the um, uh, contributing factors are, are going to be uh, you know your calm abiding all your merit and wisdom all the stuff that you do that uh, fortifies and and takes this compassion to the level of the compassion of a Buddha mm-hmm. which is this limitless omniscient consciousness that we're talking about and without compassion then you're not going to get it it will be like this uh, stinted flower <laughs> it won't it won't make it. All right. the way, and that's yeah. in Christianity too. There's a parable of, of the the sower of the seeds, where you know, some lands on rocks, some lands in mm-hmm. thorny ground, and some lands in, in fertile soil. Mm-hmm. Same idea. Your your life may be karmically so that you know it could land in in thorny thorny soil that you're growing up on. Yeah, that you're growing out of rather. <clears throat> but the seed is still there. Seed is there. Now we have the compendium of perfect Dharma reads, O Buddha, a bodhisattva should not train in many practices. If a bodhisattva properly holds to one Dharma and learns it perfectly, he has all the Buddha's qualities in the palm of his hands. And if you ask what that one Dharma is, it is great compassion. I wonder if Karma Kamalashila is trying to tell us something about compassion. <laughs> Get with it, boys. Well, he's doing the you know the typical thing you see in these you know calling on other texts you know. Yeah. <clears throat> what, what the compendium of, of perfect Dharma? Do you know the, the compendium of perfect? I don't know where that's from actually. Okay, I'll, I'll look it up and maybe yeah. put a little note for people here. It's not ringing a bell. So again, he's just saying it again. Uh, it, another text is is you know it's I'm not it's not just Kamala Sheila. I guess Kamala Sheila. It's not just my idea. It's uh, <laughs> you know, um, and so this is really he, like we we talked about this in a way in, in one of our previous episodes. Like the big ask, it's a big ask to go from being just 
in a state of normalcy of self-cherishing or things about us. And then how do you go from that person and then tip over into this being that actually cherishes others more than ourselves? Mm. And uh, they say that that's the attitude that's needed to actually practice the true, like Mahayana path with the six perfections. Um, I mean, I can say, I think maybe a better way to put that uh, or an easier way to hear that would be uh, that attitude could arrive through the practice. Like Lama Moro used to say, think of the six perfections as perfectionizers. Mm -hmm. They perfect you. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like you're going to be able to like take your bodhisattva vow, run out the door, and suddenly you cherish everyone more than yourself. Mm -hmm. You can't. We can't. We're, we're hardwired to, uh, to do the opposite. You know, like, like most of us growing up. And they're so, also called the paramitas, six paramitas. Yeah, six paramitas also. And I yeah. believe that sort of the translation of that word is that they, they take you from the, sh the shore of samsara to enlightenment. And yeah, it's, they're like a, a boat almost. Yeah, yeah, a boat. It takes you across. Um, it, it's interesting because it kind of points to another way of thinking about selflessness. So if a, if a Buddha you know, finally reaches this place where they have no uh, concern for their own needs, like the remember they, they say that the uh, Buddha's needs, they've met their own needs so they can meet all the needs of others, right? Um, I'm sure you've probably experienced this in your life uh, many times, Greg, and as your practice has evolved, is, the, is your idea of what you are like the boundary of the self just shifts and changes. And Master Shantideva is such a great master at that, teaching us ways to ex expand this idea of uh, of a me, mm -hmm. right? A me in quotation marks. And so you get this these teachings in the Dharma, how to cherish someone else more than yourself. And then you get when really, all you're really doing is expanding Mm -hmm. this idea of what I am and you're not really losing anything you're just gaining you're gaining everything by being able to uh, not be so self-centered and not just have this small uh, sphere of who you take care of most of that sphere for for largely is is for us is our, ourselves alone and uh Master Shantideva has all these great practices of exchanging self and others, right? Like try to imagine you're in the eyes of someone else looking at you, and uh, what would you, what would you like to receive? You know, like well, Jesus, right? Do unto others is, is what you'd like done unto, unto you. But you you could walk down the street and after having after having practiced many years, have a completely different sense of who you are as a being or what you are as a being mm -hmm. then like, a year before that and all brought upon brought brought upon you by the the result of the practice yeah so you just naturally cherish yourself less and cherish others more and it just happens naturally and i don't think it's easy to just decide to do that you know, if you've ever been in a situation where, uh, 
I don't know, like tragedy strikes a group of people together and then they all unite. Yeah. You know, like it's a great story that Gishin Michael Roach used to tell in his, you know, being in a a plane that uh, the landing gear was faulty and they couldn't land. And so the plane was circling Mm -hmm. uh, with the idea that uh, they would uh, run the plane out of gas run the plane out of fuel so that when it did land, it wouldn't explode. Mm-hmm. And um, he was talking about how suddenly everyone in the plane cared about each other, you know? Um, and you can get that. I've been in those situations before when suddenly that veil is down and everyone is instantly, their hearts open, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, even if it's just for a moment, it's a beautiful experience. And, but what is wild about that is okay his 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 teaching was yeah that happened and everybody was like all of a sudden everyone was like lending people use their cell phones which we you know, were so attached to our cell phones you know, yeah you know phone your phone your loved ones you know tell them that you love them um but then when the plane actually landed successfully everybody went back yeah to ignoring each other and um and that the teaching really is that we're all in a plane crash all the time like that samsara is a plane crash and that if we could recognize that we're all in this same mode of like suffering all the uh, ups and downs and a roller coaster and like mental anguish and physical anguish and over and over again on confusion and mm. losing our loved ones and gaining another one and then our friends turn to enemies and just there's no nothing to rely on in samsara yeah. and then if we could recognize that we're all or they used to say, we're all falling off the cliff. <laughs> like, why don't we recognize that, like you said, and that being like the great equalizer. And nobody wants pain. Yeah. And everybody wants happiness. And then so there's no reason to single anyone else out. But w- what point do you recognize that if you don't have these teachings? Because you could just ah, sort of be buffeted, you know, like a cork on the on the waves your whole life. Yeah, no, I don't know. I, I think that uh, it can happen when people. Well, I've seen it happen to people without the teachings when they uh, suffer. Like uh, there was one person I I remember they got uh, they thought that they were uh, dying of some kind of uh, bizarre blood disorder, mm-hmm. and uh, suddenly they were a lot nicer, you know, and uh, they were much way more pleasant to be around. They suddenly they were a much better listener and all this stuff. And, um, and those kinds of things can kind of open us up and then get us off ourselves for a minute. But then that person got the news that uh, that wasn't the case and that they're totally fine. And then they just kind of went right back to, <laughs> you know, and sometimes they call that uh, sugarcane bodhicitta. Yeah. It's hollow in the middle, right? It's doesn't, it doesn't have any lasting power. And so, that's, That's probably why. why there's so much emphasis on death and dying early on. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. It's such an important thing. If you're young, you, you don't think about it that much. It, it's an abstract idea. But no, uh, you know, we were talking earlier, like a good friend of mine, his wife just passed away after a very you know quick illness, and he's just devastated. You know, to see within yeah. a matter of weeks something like that. And you know, here is someone who's a, a highly developed spiritual psychological person, and it's still. Uh, hit him, you know, like a bat. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And we're all going that way, you know, and if 
well, you know, according to Buddhism, you can you can train yourself. And we're all, if we have a physical, if we've been born with a physical form, that's that form needs to go. Yeah. And we'll all die. And then, you know, we can train in such a way to make that transition uh, like a holy experience where you don't have to, you just keep going. And, um, but before that point, you will you will have had to have had this great separation from your <laughs> physical body. You will have had to have like you know you can't relate to yourself as a physical body, uh, and have and have a a peaceful death. You, you can't. Yeah. So if we if we were to wrap this up into a new, <laughs> a New Year's resolution, what would that sound like? <laughs> so we're getting a little, yeah. But the, it is it is part of life. What would you say would be a good? Uh, um, idea there if you were to sort of take something into the new year in, in regards to this uh this text and in this uh, as a goal as a buddha a buddha is the goal we're, we're talking about here is it more like just you know you're gonna take more time to uh, smell the roses and mm. yeah i would say you know uh well you know i love the very simple one was uh listen more than you speak there you go. Right. And uh, that's one simple practice. Listen more than you speak. Uh, can snowball into all kinds of things and then become aware of uh, become aware of every single time that you know you're you close off to another person for some apparent you know, some apparent thing that they do or some appearance that some appearance or so they don't give you some, there's so many reasons. And sure. that could be like your new year's resolution. Okay. From here on in, I'm going to do my best on a daily basis to notice when my heart closes to someone else. Yeah. You know, there you go. There you go. <clears throat> yeah. And then radical acceptance, radical love. Yeah. Yeah. All of that stuff. Okay. I like that. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Okay, we have one more, uh, one more, one more, one more. Okay, the Buddha, the Buddhas, having already achieved all their own objectives, but remain in the cycle of existence for as long as there are sentient beings. This is because they possess great compassion. They also do not enter the immensely peaceful abode of Nirvana, like the hearers. Considering the interests of the sentient beings, they abandon the peaceful abode of nirvana as if it were a burning iron house. We talked about that last episode. Oh my uh, therefore, great compassion alone is the cause of the non-abiding nirvana of the Buddha. Oof. Yeah, they won't. They will not settle for uh, just uh, having a good life uh, for their own sake. Yeah. yeah, or to extinguish their own mental uh, issues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you know when when you have that great realization, like if you do manage to uh, calm the mind to that point of shamatha, and you do, we're going to talk more about this in the in this uh, series a lot. I'm, I'm hoping. I think it def definitely is is part of the text, but. Um, insight and you go into the nature of how your thoughts are appearing how the self is appearing how reality is appearing and you do that mm -hmm. uh, with the power of this hubble telescope of shamatha you know um and then you can actually have 
a direct realization of the ultimate nature of your mind, you know, and sometimes known as the direct perception of emptiness. And then in the the time after that, one of the things that happens is you do have this great kind of equalizing awareness of how it uh, of the cause of the suffering of all beings which is mm. that mistaken idea that the lack of insight right so you've you've just catapulted yourself into like the ultimate version of insight and saw and you see for the first time how wow like my, for my whole life up to this point i was mistaken about how reality was mm -hmm. and uh just by the sheer force of that mistake, I made I created all kinds of misery for myself, you know, and others too. And then so this person who has had this vision and sees this, has this realization, sees like directly, you see directly countless beings and uh, how they're all holding on to this one idea and now it's making them suffer. So then uh, someone who is playing at that level and sees that much suffering and and i think seeing uh it at that level means that you've been uh boosting your compassion all along so that when you do have that perception you're bound by the power of your compassion to actually notice yeah. <laughs> not just yourself and then you after that you can't rest you can't rest in nirvana because you realize that whoa everybody that hasn't had this vision is in trouble and then it's like, from now on, I know what my job is. You know, I have one job, and that is to try <laughs> and pull that little root out, and that will solve so many problems. Like you know, and so it's. I, I love what they they speak about. Uh, without compassion, that's impossible. You won't. You'll just be happy in your little. Uh, nirvana cabin in the woods and not be concerned about other beings and just kind mm -hmm. of live out the rest of your uh, time mm -hmm. um, without yeah. compassion you mm -hmm. stop there yeah yeah i would think that you would just see there's more compassion highway in front of you that you can keep going and <clears throat> i don't think it takes very long if you were to truly dedicate yourself to this idea yeah and again just tattoo it in, in the front of your your, your mind there uh it wouldn't take very long you know, to see that, okay, these, these guys are onto something. Um, there, there's subtle changes and, and you start to pay attention to them. And this goes back and, and actually the Dalai Lama's um, commentary uh, from his book uh, on this says, um, she's talking about the relying on scriptural authority, you know, and so the Buddha taught in the light of his own experience, he says, and since he had direct realization of, the, of ultimate reality, he was extremely proficient in revealing the truth. So if he's, if he's telling you this, he goes, Hey, I, I know where you're at. I know it's hard at the beginning, but, uh, start with this, make this the root of your practice and, and just trust me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Cool. So, uh, maybe we could close with a little dedication meditation or something. Sure. Or? Absolutely. You know, we can uh, go into a gentle meditation. And we can do this dedication 
in a way that would be a beautiful practice to do after doing any virtue, but also at the end of any day, you know, as you lay down and you go to sleep. So eyes are gently closed, turning inward in the sense of noticing your own you know, vibrancy, noticing your own presence. You know, the conscious, aware, present part of you, that's not your name, it's not your body. And visualize a glowing, a glowing ball of light, a glowing orb of golden light in the center of your heart chakra, center of your heart. And decide that this is the goodness, this is the accumulated goodness of all you know, all that we've talked about, our, our motivation for being here, our aspirations to help others, just the fact that we didn't spend the last hour uh, doing something frivolous. We spent the time, our precious time, our ultimate resource on trying to benefit ourselves and others. And so see this as this glowing, beautiful, golden energy at the heart. And then visualize it spilling out of your heart and filling your body. And it begins to glow just outside of your skin. And finally, it can't contain it any longer. And it bursts out the pores of your skin like golden lasers. And imagine it radiating out and touching the hearts of all sentient beings in all the ten directions. And decide that, please, may every single one of you benefit, you know, from my practice. I dedicate it to you, to, the, to your freedom, all of your freedom. And in your mind, imagine that it happens in real time now and that the burden of confusion is dropped from countless sentient beings and because we've been talking about compassion compassion arises in all these beings naturally and spontaneously towards themselves and others and just take a moment and rejoice in that Imagine a universe full of these beings and rejoice in it. And then let that, let that light withdraw now back into your body, back into your heart. And always nice after you know, sort of an elaborate visualization to just simply rest 
and focus on the area of the heart. And now be as non-elaborate as possible and simply sit and feel the result without getting conceptual, without labeling, without measuring, just simply being. And then uh, just before we come out of the meditation, just a suggestion for uh, anyone that might want to try this is, you know, as you go to sleep at night, you can do the same thing. Think of this golden energy at your heart, but just think, you know, the day that I live today, you know, may, anything that was virtuous, any goodness that I uh, did today, you know, may it serve all sentient beings. And imagine dedicating the goodness that you did that day to benefit all sentient beings and do the same thing and uh, be a great way to finish your day and go off to sleep. And then we can gently release the meditation. Always coming out gently. See if you can maintain the inner awareness as you take in whatever is around you with your eyes, but you're not leaping out, you're staying in. 